What does it mean to win? What does it mean to win? An important question for all of us. We all desire to be successful, to be effective as long as we live on this earth. If you're in business, perhaps the goal or or how we define winning is how much money we're able to make, earn. Sports, is it winning games, championships, matches perhaps? In the arts, is it perhaps to be recognized as producing wonderful works of art? Education, is it to graduate or or to help people graduate? There's a variety of things that we could pursue. And in those industries, there's a metric of winning and losing. What is successful, what is not successful. I think we all understand that. I could have gone on and on and gone through all the industries, but we get what it, what's, what's being talked about. Therefore, in a group setting, whatever the metric of success is, meaning how you gauge winning and losing, is what we will value. This is important that we understand this. However you judge what is winning and losing is what you will value. And whatever we value as a group will shape the culture that we're a part of. Right? So whatever we value is going to shape the culture of our group. It molds us. It shapes the way we talk, the way we think, the way we act. In essence, the culture is having a shared value system and and a shared way of doing life. Every group has a culture. If you're married, there's a culture in your marriage relationship. In your family units, there is a culture. In your businesses, your teams, your ministries, there is a culture that is there. could be good, it could be bad, but there is a culture there. So my past, I've had the opportunity to help establish cultures in a pre-existing culture twice you know in my coaching history and both situations have pre-existing history both situations had pre-existing expectations both uh, situations had pre-existing values and as I uh, think back 20 years ago and maybe even 10 years ago I think back what were those value systems that we inherited and what I learned is that in these environments they had variety of values and oftentimes not one singular value. And sometimes I remember there was a rotating, revolving door of values. Every week it was kind of a new thing or new slogan. That doesn't work. That's why they brought us in. If it worked, we wouldn't have been there. And so these things are really flashing in my mind. And for us, you know, as I go back to 2001, my mind was drawn back to competition is the central theme of the program. Competition is a central theme of the program. And this one ideal harnessed all the energy, all the focus of everyone involved. This is what focused us and channeled us in one single direction. As simple as that sounds, competition is the central theme of the program. It was the central theme of the program. It influenced every coach, every player, every administrator, every staff person, even the fans to some levels. It brought the whole group together. It influenced everything that we did. Competition, how we prepared, how we practiced, how we met, how we studied film, how much, how we lifted our weights, everything. We even had a day called 
Competition Tuesday. We had a whole day set that is dedicated for competition. We kept score. There was a winner, there was a loser. It created this competitive culture. Even how we recovered, how we rested, how we ate, how we spent time in the, in the rehab room, that, all, all that. Academics. We're competing to see how we did with our tutors, our grades, all that. Even how we traveled, how we could dress, how much fun we could have when it's appropriate. We try to do all that stuff. So competition was a common thread that went through everything that we did. Everything. That was the central theme of the program. And so we established a competitive culture. We were intentional. It became a way of life, even a philosophy, I would even say. This shaped how we thought. This shaped how our worldview, how we interpreted things. And we actually didn't talk about winning much, if at all. We didn't talk about winning. We just talked about competing every day, all the time, constantly. And the goal was this, to produce great competitors. That was actually our goal. We want to produce great competitors. We had a competitive culture. There's no question. There's no question about that end. What I learned from that whole two-time experience is it's critical to have a central theme. Absolutely critical. Because the central theme is our central emphasis. And we believe that whatever you emphasize is what you get. If you emphasize 50 things, you get nothing. But if you emphasize it to a few things, you get pretty good at it. And the culture gets shaped incredibly by it. So today, this is the central theme of Evergreen Church. Discipleship is a central theme of Evergreen Church. In no unclear terms, we're going to find out is if this is from Christ or if this is my own idea. Discipleship is a central theme of our church. And we're going to the Great Commission today. We'll be out of Matthew 28. That's the first book in the New Testament. The very last chapter, the very last section. We'll start from verse 16. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 28 verse 16, and please rise with me. We do this to honor God's word. We do this to, to respect God and his word. We do this to honor him. Matthew 28, many call this the Great Commission, verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they, were, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Verse 18, and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us understand your word, Lord. Help us to know what you're saying. Thank you, Father. Help us to see your son more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Last week we talked about we are about Christ. We are about Christ. Christ Jesus is our foundation. He's the one who sets everything. He's the one that sets the building plans. He gives us the trajectory of where we're to be headed. And today, Jesus Christ, through Matthew 28, gives us his building plans, and he plans to build his church. He says, I will build my church in Matthew 16. He plans to build his church through discipleship. 
And we're about discipleship because, as verse 18 says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, he is a supreme ruler. He's our head, talking about Jesus Christ. And he's the one we obey. All authority, not partial, but all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. And he goes on to say, go, therefore, make disciples. Jesus Christ gives us the great commission. The reason why the great the commission is great is because the commander is great. The one giving it to us, Jesus Christ, he's the greatest. All authority has been given to him. And now he hands down the marching orders to us and how to build his church. The great commission is to make disciples. In no unclear terms, making disciples is the great commission. Jesus loves his church. He loves us. You've heard it multiple times from Pastor Paul and others. Jesus loves his global church, but he loves Evergreen. I know he does. Look what he's doing. Look at the gifts that he's bringing to our church. And Christ has a building plan for the global church, but specifically here at Evergreen as well. And he has the greatest building plan. So before talking about what making disciples looks like, just like a shoe factory needs to know what a shoe looks like, correct? If you're working at a shoe factory, you, know, you need to know what a Nike looks like. Just like if you worked at In-N-Out, you, know, you need to know what a burger looked like and tasted like, right? We need to know what a disciple, should, a disciple looks like. So what is a disciple? Mathetes, this is the original, in the original Greek language. A disciple simply means a learner, pupil, follower. A learner. That's all that means, a learner. And in the first century, when Matthew was written, a disciple didn't go to a university or to a school. A student, if you're a serious student, you're tethered to a teacher. You didn't go to the university. You got hooked up with a teacher. And basically, you live with the teacher. You're devoted to the teacher. And the goal was to become like the teacher. That's what a first century disciple was like. It's just like an apprenticeship. But you live with your teacher. You became like the teacher. And Jesus describes a disciple in similar fashion in Matthew 10, 24 to 25. If you're a note taker, write that scripture down so you can study it more. Matthew 10, 24 to 25. He says a disciple is below his teacher. Meaning a disciple, a student follows his teacher. And the goal of the disciple is to become like the teacher just like what I said earlier. Another scripture that you might want to look up to know what a disciple is, Matthew 10, 32 to 39. Matthew 10, all in Matthew. Matthew 10, 32 to 39. Jesus calls for complete devotion. Jesus even says, if you don't confess me before man, meaning if you're ashamed to say I am with Jesus Christ before man, I will not confess you before the Father. Serious business. Jesus is calling for full-on commitment. Jesus even says, you have to love, your, love me, love Christ more than your father or mother. Jesus says, if you love your family more than me, you're not fit for me. That's complete commitment. That's complete devotion, what the Lord is calling for. A third scripture that you might want to note, note is Matthew 16, 24. Matthew 16, 24. He describes the cost of discipleship. Jesus says, to the disciples, deny yourself, meaning don't do what you want. Don't live for yourself. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Die to yourself. 
Get on the death march along with me. Take up your cross and follow me. Matthew 16, 24. So in other words, a disciple is a Christian. There's no such thing as junior varsity Christian and varsity Christian. There's no such thing as I came to Christ at age whatever, 12 or 15, and then I became a disciple of Christ when I got into college. That, does, that's, that doesn't compute according to what Jesus said. A disciple is a genuine Christian. All right? They're synonymous terms. A Christian is a disciple. A disciple is a Christian. And at Evergreen, we're called to make disciples, and that's what we're going to call discipleship. But how do we define discipleship at Evergreen Church, our church? How do we coin this? You know, how do we understand it? And what we worked on with the help of some people and our pastors is committing to intentional relationships that build Christ-likeness. Look at your bulletins. Um, look outside in our, in our banners that we hung up committing to intentional relationships that build Christ-likeness. That's how we define what discipleship here is at Evergreen. This is important now. This is going to capture you. This is going to, where are you going to understand, Jesus, what are you calling me to do? Wherever he has us going. And so today we're going to answer the question, how is discipleship going to happen at Evergreen Church? How is discipleship going to happen <clears throat> And the Lord gives us three participles in, in this great commission. Three participles. These are words that describe a verb, which is to go make disciples. The three words are go, baptizing, and teaching. Go, baptizing, and teaching. Those are really going to be the three main points as we go uh, through our sermon here. Go, baptizing, and teaching. Committing to intentional relationships that build Christ-likeness. And what we're going to do... Church family, I want you to feel me now. Follow along with me. We're going to infuse Matthew 28, 19, and 20 into this definition so you can see, oh, this is not the staff's definition. This is not some definition out of a book. This is really Matthew 28 put into one succinct sentence here. Committing to intentional relationships that build Christ-likeness. We want to infuse this with the power of God's word. So let's go to point number one. Verse 19a says, go therefore. Go is the fill in the blank. And with this definition, intentional relationships that build Christ-likeness, we're focusing on the word intentional right now. How does go and intentional go together? You're going to find out right now. Go, therefore. This word go in the original language simply translated would mean having gone. Having gone. You've already gone. This is an ass assumption that you already went. And my, our friends, uh, Pastor Chris Mueller, who's helped us out, would say, this is like as you are going, as you're going through life. So go, think about it in those terms. As you're going through life that God has you on, wherever Christ has you, be intentional. There it is, intentional about discipling people. Intentional. When I joined the, uh, when I was a young coach, um, my first assignment at college was to go recruiting. And I was a young coach. I was the new guy. So what do they do to the new guy? They give the guy the territory that's the largest and the most spread out in California. I had the Central Valley. 
So, Paul, I know you go up and down the 99. I, I got to learn what the 99 was. I knew what the 5 was, but I went to the right a little bit up the 99, and that was my area. I went to every single high school, every single uh, uh, junior college. I went to even some community centers to see if there's any athletes around. I used to go under every rock, shake every bush, kids, climb up every tree to find one thing. You know what I was looking for? You know what I was tasked to do by my higher-ups? Rocky, go find some great competitors for us. Go find people who are interested in competing to be as good as they can be. That was my goal. We had some tremendous athletes in the area, but mm, something was missing. They're not our type of guy. We just move on to the next guy. Go find some great competitors. This is what Jesus Christ is saying. Go as you're going, wherever Christ has commissioned you to go, in the San Gabriel Valley or wherever else, look for opportunities to disciple. Who's interested in being a, a disciple of Christ? This is critical that we understand this. Even non-believers, who's interested in the things of God? Who looks paranoid today with COVID and everything else? Well, that might be an opportunity to give them the hope of Jesus Christ, that this life is not it. There's something else. Or any professing believers that you come across who's interested in studying the Bible, who's interested in praying, who's interested in accountability. You're looking for that. Wherever God has you going, be intentional about making disciples. And it goes on to say, Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations. All the nations. Ethnos, that's the word. All the nations. This is people groups, ethnic groups. In other words, no color lines. There's no cultural barriers. There's no language gap. There's no socioeconomic divide that keeps you from discipling somebody. If they look interested, if they're willing, go after them. That's what the Lord is saying. So you may say, where do I start, Pastor? This is so daunting, like the, all the nations. You know, that's pretty massive and encompassing task. I'm going to go to Acts 1.8 here. And I've, I've read this for us several times, but as a church, I think it's important for us to read again here. Acts 1.8. Right as Jesus ascends back into heaven, Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. There it is. Jesus says Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. Think about it in concentric circles, meaning there's an inner circle and you're moving out and out, out like a ripple effect. Jesus starts with Jerusalem. Where is your Jerusalem? Minimally, it's your home. If, you've been, if, you, if God gave you a husband or a wife, start there. That's it. That's as close to the core as you could get. Start there. Be discipling your spouse, your husband or wife. If God gave you any children, there's the next circle. Start with your, and then go with your children. Disciple them. Start there in your Jerusalem. And then who at church is interested? Who at work is interested? Who at school is interested? And on and on and on. Start where God has you. Clearly, if, if in, in your home, God has called us to disciple those that we live with. Do you remember 1 Corinthians 16, 9, how Paul talks about having spiritual vision on where to run through? Where has God opened up a wide door for effective service for you? 
Where has he opened that up? And so you could go through that hole. Where has the Lord opened that door for you? I've been involved with a, a sports organization called CARE, K-A-R-E, CARE Youth League, you know, and we're our, 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 our youngest plays sports there, and Pastor Victor got me involved there, and it's been neat to see Pastor Victor and his wife Kelly, how they're intentionally developing relationships with the parents. We're just hanging out watching practice three, twice a week, and then on, on Saturdays a game. There's a lot to talk about. Things come up. I could see them very, being very intentional. It's a good exhortation for me to do the same. And people open up with things. What's going on at home? What's going on in life? What a great opportunity. Discipleship opportunity. Since we're Christians, let's not disappoint them. Let's minimally pray for them. Give them the scriptures. Invite them to the Lord's Day service. Where has God opened up an open door of effective service for you? Perhaps, perhaps like the Lou's, some have been given a unique calling to the ends of the earth. There are missionaries who are called to leave home and go to foreign lands. There are people like that. There are people like that. But understand this. If you're saying, Pastor, are you calling, perhaps I feel called to go to different lands. The first thing I'm going to ask is this. What does discipleship look like in your home? Who are you discipling right here? I've heard too many times players come to me and say, don't worry, coach, when, when the game comes, I'll be ready. I don't need to practice. I'll be fine. <laughs> not, that's not how it works. If you're, if you're a disciple maker, you're doing it wherever you're at. You don't just turn on once you go to a foreign land. These are the things that we are looking for in faithful people to be sent out by our church. Are you doing it where you're at right now? And if the Lord is calling you, it'll be clear. And also it'll be clear to the brotherhood and sisterhood that you're to go as well. What opportunities can you see personally and corporately as a church family? I mean, providentially, God has placed us in La Puente, California, in Avocado Heights of all places. Isn't that amazing? Providentially, this is where we're at. And as a church family, our Jerusalem, as a corporate church family, our Jerusalem is La Puente. Avocado Heights. And it was neat. We had a couple of our pastors and some people from our church at Andrews Park, just up the road here, and they had this uh, grand opening of a park. Pastor Hugo was leading us, and we're uh, meeting all kinds of people, people of the community, people of the school at Andrews Elementary, handing out uh, flyers, inviting them to service, talking to them about the Lord. It was exciting. We're doing what we can. Where has God opened up an opportunity for you to serve effectively. I mean, I'm so fired up about what's happening with our Monday night Spanish Bible study. And what's super encouraging to me is this, is that people are coming, but what's super encouraging to me is to see people of our church participating. Wow. That excites me as a pastor. Like, wow, that's really neat. You caught the vision and you're participating. You're doing life with the people, developing relationships being intentional about coming on board of what the Lord is doing. Exciting stuff. So as you're going through life, wherever God has you, let's be intentional, intentional, intentional in discipling opportunities. Let's be deliberate in evangelizing people. Let's be mindful to edify other Christians. All right, is that clear? Intentional.
I mentioned earlier the as I hit the road in my truck, driving up the 99 freeway, meeting all kinds of great people, it was oftentimes like a two, three-year process. I meet some of these players as sophomores, and we develop a relationship with them. We talk to them. We a lot of letters and a lot of correspondence back and forth. But as things get more serious, as they get ready to graduate out of high school, the culmination of our recruiting efforts ends up in a recruiting weekend. All right, what happens in a recruiting weekend? Basically, it's a Friday to a Sunday event where they come on campus and they visit us and see the campus, spend time with all the coaches, all the players, the student body, all that stuff. They get to experience what the college is like. In the climax of this weekend, I will say Saturday night. Saturday night is a big night. What we do is we go into the Coliseum. That was our stadium. We take them into the locker room. Tino, our equipment man, had locker room dressed up like it's a regular game. All the lockers are filled, particularly with the, the recruits that were recruiting. Had their jersey there, their helmets, their shoes, their wristbands and gloves that they're going to get. All that stuff. We invited our current players. All our coaches are there. The recruits are there with their family and friends that joined them on the trip. And we gather in, the, in this locker room. And up to this point, it's been fun and games. It's been great. It's been a lot of hugs, a lot of, hey, we love you. We, you, we like you too, back and forth. But this two, three-year courtship was coming to an end. It's time to formalize a relationship. It's time to operate in the black and white, not in the gray. It's time to stop dating and to get married to one another. I mean, this is a serious business. It was, it was like a big, big moment for all of us because we're going to find out who's on our team at that moment, perhaps. Are you in or out is what kind of, in essence, the feeling of that, that locker room was like. Do you want to be part of this competitive culture? Is this who you are? Is this what you've been looking for? And the coach would say, if it's right, if it's right and it feels right, Put on that jersey. And thank God many of the players put on that jersey. And I, he goes, I want you to tap in before we hit the field. There's a sign that said, I'm in. They tapped in. And that kind of helped crystallize and formalize our relationship with one another. And this goes into point number two here. 19B talks about baptizing, fill in the bank, blank, baptizing, intentional relationships that build Christ-likeness. This, fo- this part of baptism is focusing on the relationships aspect of our definition. Verse 19b says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Our Lord calls for the same thing. Our Lord is calling for his disciples to formalize our relationships. No different. He doesn't, our Lord doesn't operate in the gray either. Will you marry me? I mean, this is what it's about. And in the church, God's given us, Christ has given us two ordinances. One is communion, which we, it's called the Lord's Supper. We do this every first Lord's Day of the month. And then there's baptism. Communion is a regular affirmation that we're in relationship with God and with one another. Baptism is a one-time ceremony that, that affirms our relationships. And baptizo, baptize, means complete immersion. That means you're completely immersed into Christ. That means you said, you know what? 
Jesus, I agree. I died with you. My old sinful self has died with you. But now that I've resurrected with you, I'm all in with you. My life is in you. My relationship is in you. So baptism is a public outward symbol of our relationships. Started with Christ. Started with Christ, but so much more. The Bible says right here, Matthew 20, in the name of, singular, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That means we're in a Trinitarian relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit through Christ as well. I'm going to go to John 17, one of my favorite verses. Write this down, John 17, 21. John 17, 21. Jesus Christ is praying to the Father, praying for the church, praying for his disciples, and this is what he prays. John 17, 21. This gives us a glimpse into what we're saying. Yes, too, when we get baptized. That they, that they may all be one. Talking about every single believer. That they all may all be one. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us. Every single professing, genuine Christian is connected to Christ, connected to the Father, connected to the Spirit, meaning with God, we're connected to Him. But also baptism means that we're connected to one another as well. All of us are thrust into this love relationship with God Himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Galatians, go to your right a little bit, Galatians 3. 26, write this down, Galatians 3, 26 to 28. Galatians 3, 26 to 28. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, since you've been baptized into Christ. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. We put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one, one in Christ Jesus. Baptism. The ceremony of baptism doesn't save you, but it says to everybody, it defines who you're with. How can we identify who's a genuine Christian in our midst? Baptism. Baptism is that mark. We're all been marked by the same symbol Baptism is a public declaration that we're all on the same team. I'm in. And basically we're saying, I'm wearing the same jersey as you are. We're all on the same team. I'm in. The reason why these players agreed to get on our team, and because they said I'm in, is because I want to be part of this culture. I need this to get better. I need to grow. I, I can, And I also, this is agreeable to me. I could add to this culture. I need coaches to lead and teach me. I need teammates to compete with and to be encouraged by. I need a support staff to nurture me. I need a team with the right culture, a culture of discipleship. Baptism is being immersed into the local church as well, right? This is the whole point. You're being baptized into a whole group of people as well. Just like a team, Christ has given us one another to be intentional in intentional relationships with, to disciple one another. We're in relationship with one another because we're all in Christ. Baptism defines our relationships with one another. This takes out the gray area. 
This makes it black and white. Are you in Christ and with us, or you're not a guest of ours? That's important for us to know. Are we evangelizing you, or are we edifying you? This is very important. In the local church, we experience the various one another's. In the New Testament, there's like 50 plus one another's. And this is, these are all different facets of how discipleship takes place. Let me just read you some of them. It's in the epistles, the letters of the New Testament, it says, be devoted to one another, be, have the same mind with one another, build up one another, accept one another, admonish one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, confess your sins to one another, forgive one another, comfort one another, pray for one another, one another encourage one another. In all the one another's, guys, this, this is important that we understand this. It's taught to be done in the local church because you're going to see each other constantly. Absolutely, if you meet a Christian on the streets, yes, all these things are in effect, but you're not going to have a regular contact with them. You haven't clearly defined a relationship with them yet, but at Evergreen Church, baptized members understand, I want this. I want to be part of this culture. You, you sign on the dotted line. That's exactly what I want to be involved with discipleship. Disciples of Christ know, and uh, we're part of something much bigger than ourselves. I'd invite you if, you, if you understand Christ's commitment to you, and you are committed to Christ, and you are committed to one another here, and you haven't been baptized yet, see one of us pastors. Pastor Dan and I have been talking about this, and contact us so we could talk you through this whole process. This is very important that we understand this. We're going to have an opportunity later on this year, perhaps, to do this. Basically, what you're being baptized into is also saying, I want to be in intentional relationships with one another here at Evergreen Church. We had guest coaches come through to set up our final point here. I want to talk about these guest coaches. We were winning, and it was amazing. And we had guest coaches from football, of course, but other sports. Some businessmen would come through, and they were interested in how we're doing it. How is this happening at this college? And many came looking in to pick up the playbook. They wanted the Xerox copy of our thick playbook. They wanted the Excel spreadsheets of the practice plans and how do you organize the team and all that. They wanted some tape, some film to watch so they could study that. I mean, these are all good things, but I realized as I looked into their eyes that they spent a few days with it, they realized it was much more than playbooks and film. It was much deeper than this. It's about a culture. They realized it. And they knew in, in, for them to have a winning team, they need to have a culture that supports this and undergirds all of this. And they, I think that what they saw was this. We try to capture one person at a time. One player at a time, one brand new staff member at a time, one, one new coach at a time, one administrator at a time. And they saw, I believe, an intentional culture to teach one another. Each one teach one. Each one teach one. Intentional relationship to teach one another. So the third and final point here out of verse 20 is teaching Intentional relationships that build Christ-likeness. This last point focusing on build Christ-likeness. Let me read verse 20 here at the top. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. 
Not partial, but all that I commanded you. Teaching, 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 teaching. Whenever someone starts to act more like Christ, they're becoming more Christ-like, okay? And it starts with His Word. This is a lifelong process. Salvation may be for a moment that lasts for eternity, but sanctification or edification is a lifelong process to the day we see the Lord and we become transformed into His image. John 17, 17, Jesus sanctified them in the truth. Your word is true. The Bible is what we're talking about. That's why we're so committed to equipping an ace and preaching the scriptures from the pulpit. Hebrews 13, 7 says, God will give us pastors who lead and teach and to imitate their faith. That's what we're trying to bring on and build up our pastoral team with, a, with those two positions, a local outreach pastor and a young adult pastor who help coordinate discipleship at Evergreen. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, young men submit to the elders. Titus 2 says, older women teach the younger women. Ephesians 6 says, children obey your parents. And guess what, guys? Just like the one another's, this is in the context of the local church. Local church. Teaching to obey. And let me just say this. Not everyone's called to be a teacher and preacher just simply because God hasn't gifted us in all of us in the same way. Praise God. What if we're all teachers and preachers? That'd be incredibly crazy, right? So there's some of us who do this. I get that. So we pr- offer formal teaching class uh, opportunities, whether it's ACE, uh, your uh, youth uh, Sunday school hour, or the pulpit. Formal teaching is one way, but Christ-likeness is not only taught, but it's also caught. Definitely starts with teaching. But remember what I talked about with the Stephanuses a couple weeks ago. It's the examples the role models that you find in the church that teach you how to be more Christ-like. It's that real living, breathing example that's sitting and standing before you week after week, day after day, that you go like, wow, I see this. I want to be like that. This is what we're talking about. Everybody is involved with teaching one another. That's why we sing. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, the Bible said. When we sing, we're teaching the word to each other. Here's an interesting thought here. Go baptizing and teaching. Those three participles, they're all in the plural. That means that in your discipleship hopes and efforts, there may be one-on-one moments where you meet with a chief discipler. Certainly that's a good thing. But much more than that, we need the whole body. Let me give you an explanation of why. Christ discipled, right? Jesus Christ himself discipled the 12. He did it. And Jesus Christ is perfect. He's God himself. None of us are like that. We're all deficient. And remember the goal is to build what? Rocky likeness? No. Christ likeness. Because the problem is this. Or the goal is not to reproduce the pastor or any prominent people in the church. It's to reproduce Christ likeness. The problem is this, if there's only one chief person speaking into your life that's discipling, I think you'll gain their strengths. You might gain their strengths. You might. Not a guarantee. You might. But you'll certainly gain their weaknesses as well. We want Christ-likeness. And in order to get a fuller picture of Christ-likeness, we need the entire body. The body of Christ. This is how we see Christ more fully lived out. That means we need singles and marrieds. Involved with one another. We need men and women involved with one another. We need younger and older involved with one another. 
We need baby Christians and mature Christians involved with one another. That means there's, we have di- different gifts, different styles, different pas- uh, passions, different backgrounds. We need all that good stuff to come in to see a fuller picture of Christ. That's why discipleship happens in the context of the local church. Isn't that clear? We need one another. We need one another. And really what we're looking for is this feeling of, I need to be there. I need to be involved because not only am I going to get discipled, I can't let my brother or sister down. They need me there. Not in an arrogant way, but Christ has called you here specifically to be involved. This is not a consumeristic mindset. What can I get out of it? It's more like, I'm going to receive, but I need to be there for my brothers and sisters. So here's the nitty-gritty here, a little bit of the application. How are we developing uh, a strong and loving discipleship culture at Evergreen Church? How is it actually happening? Right? This is, sounds good, and everyone's an amen to this. It's clearly out of the scriptures. But how is it happening here? Well, what we decided is to begin and provide formal discipleship opportunities. Well, the Lord's Day service is one. This is where we get to experience worship unto the Lord, hear the Word of God preached together as a corporate family. Once a week, we come together. That's one. And there's, some good, there's a lot of good discipleship that's taking place right now. I'm preaching to you. Secondly, we created opportunities and, and for equipping opportunities, formal biblical training at the, uh, at the 9 o'clock hour. If you haven't joined, join. We'll open up spots. We want every adult involved. In the youth, you're going through the gospel project. Children, you're going through the gospel project. All the youth, all the children learned how God created Adam and Eve. Isn't that amazing? If you sat in Keith Fukuyama's class, we started in the beginning, right? We were learning, got a big overview of Genesis. It was wonderful. We also have provi- are going to create and provide life group opportunities branches, uh, age-appropriate uh, life stage groups like youth and, 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 uh, and uh, uh, mothers groups, harvesters, all these things that we're developing. These are formal opportunities to join a life group at Evergreen. And then we're, we'll also offer official Evergreen serving opportunities. You see that? The Lord's Day, equipping, life groups, and serving. Now, th- those are the formal opportunities. Hear me now. That's not the goal. That's not the goal to see how many people can get involved. This is what the hope is now. That through all these interactions with one another, you know what our hope is that happens? That intentional relationships deepen. And from the formal opportunities of discipleship are birthed the informal discipleship opportunities. Informal. That means corporate accountability becomes interpersonal accountability. We ask each other, how's your thought life? How's your holiness going? Do you need to confess any sins? Church discipline, which happens at a broad uh, corporate level, is happening at a personal level. Jesus said, if someone sinned against you, go to your brother in private. These things start happening. Sermons are listened to. Now, in between, you guys are talking about the sermon. Life groups turns into, let's work out together. Let's have dinner together. Let's do play dates together. That's what it starts to look like when these relationships start to deepen. Evergreen serving opportunities become just regular things that you do for one another. Informal equipping such as biblical counseling that's being taught 
You're learning and all of a sudden you're biblically counseling each other when sin and suffering shows up in your relationships. Isn't that amazing? And I'm just giving you a sample of what this could look like. And guess what? When that is happening at a church-wide basis, guess what? Now we just established a discipleship culture. Now we're cooking with gas now. Now things are happening. Now things are formal. Now this is real. It's more than a slogan. Discipleship is a central theme of the, of the church. It's more than that. It's who we are. It's a way of life. It's the way we think. This is how we judge faithfulness. Am I being faithful to the great commission? This is what keeps you up at night. How can I disciple this person better? How can I find discipleship for myself? These are the things that captures your heart and your mind and your imagination as a Christian. Now the culture is taking over. Now the culture is taking over. Let me just finish up here, brothers and sisters. What does it mean to win is what I asked earlier. Now let me make it more specific. In the local church, what does a win look like in the local church? Think clearly now. What does a win look like in the local church? I'm going to give you some scripture. Jesus said, I will build my church. I, Jesus, is going to build his church. He didn't say, Rocky, build my church. He said, I will build my church. He didn't say, uh, lay person, I will build my church. He said, I, I'm going to build my church. It means Jesus Christ is going to build his church. He's the one that's bu- building. Therefore, winning looks like this. Being faithful to his building plans. Period. Am I faithful to the call of discipleship? He does the rest. We just got to be faithful and following his blueprint. Are we faithful to discipleship? I'm going to warn you now, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be messy at times. It's going to cost you. Because think about it, when recovering sinners get together, there's going to be some conflict from time to time. I mean, that's just what it is. Lower your expectations. It's going to be tough at times. But let me finish off with Matthew 28, 20 at the end. Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you think Jesus understands betrayal? Do you think the one with us understands suffering and hard-heartedness where people just look at you like you're crazy when they deny sinning, when they are in deep sin? Do you think Jesus Christ understands disappointments and opposition? Do you think Jesus Christ understands the need to forgive? He understands. And by the way, all authority has been given to him on heaven and on earth in addition to that. He's with us. He's got this. And discipleship is the central theme of Evergreen Church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. You are amazing. Thank you for making it so crystal clear, Jesus, what our role is to be while we're on this earth. Thank you that you love this church. Thank you that you are building your church. Thank you for being with us, Lord. Lord, I pray that we will respond to you. I pray, Lord, that we'll commit to intentional relationships that build Christ-likeness with one another. I pray, Lord, that for those who don't desire this yet, that they will desire this supernaturally. They have this great desire to be involved in intentional relationships that build Christ-likeness. Father, will you build 
through your son, a strong and loving discipleship culture here at Evergreen Church. This is what we want. We believe this is what you want, more importantly. So thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.